0: Okay, I've got to press continue. There we
1: go. Richard, hi.
0: Hi there. Hi, how are you doing?
1: Yeah, very well. How
0: are you? I'm good, thank you. Yep, yeah, can't Excellent. complain.
1: Excellent. Um I've I've just literally come back from a from a run, and obviously I was thinking about our, our conversation that we're, that we're having now. And and I was trying to recall when when we met, because we had a weekend away together.
0: Yeah, I mean it feels quite recent, but it must have been. Well, it was obviously before the pandemic, and I reckon it must have been what was that, twenty nineteen, maybe um, two years ago, maybe the year before that, for one of these retreats that, um, yeah, at Harrenand Finn and his his writing and running retreats, mm. which I've done a few times, and just those couple of days in Dartmoor with running and talking about writing. Yeah,
1: um, it was brilliant. Actually, it was a it was a fantastic weekend. Um... And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was what it, it said on the tin. How, how did that come about?
0: I don't, I honestly don't know. All I know is that Harunan asked me to. Um, he, you know, he does these retreats for various kinds of running. Yeah, I think it's called The Way of the Runner, and there's, you know, natural running and this kind of running and that kind of running. And he obviously, you know, a lot of... There seem to be a lot of people who do running who are interested in writing because, you know, run, running's an important part of many people's lives and often you want to write about what's important to you and um, so i guess you know the interest was there and he said do you want to give it a try and we gave it a try and i mean i i found them really enjoyable um partly because you know just the people who come are really interesting and they're sort of, you know, they're looking to me and Heron and as the writers to, to guide them on how to become writers. But actually, we, we do nothing. They do it themselves. <laughs> um, I don't know if you noticed. I mean, I don't how, I'd don't. i be interested to hear how it was for you. But i got this real sense that, you know, people come along. They say, I want to be a writer. You say, well, so what do you think is stopping you from being a writer? <laughs> and they say, and you think, well, there you go. <laughs> you know, people were sort of solving their own problems as we went along. And that's what was really nice about it.
1: Yeah, well, I, th- I think that captures it. And I think that's, that's the, can I use the word, the power of that weekend. Um, you know, all going away somewhere, beautiful countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, it poured with rain most of the time, which really added yeah. yeah. something, didn't it? Because we, we yeah. actually wrote, we all had to write our story of running in the rain. Mm. Um, and, but I think that's the beauty of, I don't know if you want to call it teaching, where you, you get the people to kind of work it out themselves without mm. pointing and saying, do this and do that.
0: Mm. I think also I'm I'm sure you must find this a lot of times that the fact that someone has chosen to give up a weekend and to pay money to go to something you know that and that's really the thing that liberates and empowers them I remember when I you know in my 20s when I, I spent years and years and years trying to give up smoking and yeah I constantly said I'm really I'm always giving up smoking but of course <laughs> I wasn't I was always smoking um and eventually, I paid eighty quid, and which is a you know huge amount of money back in those days, and went and spent a whole Saturday morning with some guy who said he was a hypnotist. I don't think he really was, um, and we sat there for four hours just talking about smoking. Um, and then I left. And I thought, right, I'd better buy some cigarettes. And I thought, I can't. I've just spent, you know, spent 80 quid and four hours. I've got to get something out of this. And really that that was the key thing that did it for me. You just you make the investment yourself, and suddenly you've chosen to take a bit of control of what you want to happen next. Yeah. And I guess that's probably a good thing in many areas of life.
1: Yeah. I mean that that's kind of in a way the essence of some of a technique you may have heard, well not technique, an approach to communication called motivational interviewing, where where it's really about you know having conversations with people where they come up with the reasons to make the changes themselves. Mm. It's very powerful. Yeah. I mean, no one no one likes to be told what to do, but but conversely, again, you know, in that in that situation, mm. um, you know, if if someone wanted to know something about, you know, they could mm. they could ask you, and and obviously then you would you would share your advice.
0: Yes, I suppose that, yeah, that was probably the other thing. And I think probably what might have been useful to them was that both uh, both of us writers have had all the different experiences we've had. So if someone was having a problem, you know, I, know, I, I can't get beyond my research or I can't find time to do whatever it was, one or other of us would be able to say, well, yeah, I had that problem too. And if nothing else, even if you can't show someone the route out of it, at least you can say that, you know, don't worry, that doesn't mean that there's no hope. You know, you can get through these things and this is what worked for me. And so sometimes it's just giving people the confidence to to try themselves and to, you know, to release, to, to un- unblock the way in front of them, as it were.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there, there was something else that, that I'm sure came up there around the fact that, you know, once you start... Calling yourself a writer because you've started to groove the habit. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know you, you made it clear that that we were all in the room. Well, you, you're already writers you, because you're already writing. So you were. Yeah, a writer. yeah. Yeah. And I suppose from our viewpoint, it was well, okay, yeah. But I, I think several people in our group had stuff published as books, um, articles. And, and actually, I'd forgotten yeah. that I'd had quite a lot of stuff already published in various places. Right. You yeah. Kind of, so you become a bit passive. You sort of sit back and think, "Well, I'm no, I'm not really a writer. I'm just here to learn." Those two guys—they're mm. real writers. You know, they, yeah, they've, yeah. They've got the books, and, and mm. I've seen their books and read their books. Um, so there's a there's a shift in mindset, I guess.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. And one one of the things, one of the things I really noticed about the, all the weekends like that that we've done is that all these people come along, and most of them have got a they pretty, you know, they have some job of some kind that they think of as their job, and they do that very well. You know, they don't just lie in bed all day and think, oh, I really ought to go to work, but I can <laughs> get around to it." You know, people go and do their jobs. They think I've got goals, I've got to hit them, I've got problems, I've got to solve them, whatever it is, I've got things I ought to do, and then their writing is somehow in a different compartment of their life, and and they don't treat them the same way. And to me, that's often a key breakthrough that people make, is you know. You want to be a writer, you know. Or, or also, if you want to be a runner, you know. Some people are sitting there thinking, "Oh, I really want to be fit and things like that." But I don't know if it, you know. If you want to do it, then treat it as you treat the things that are important in your life. Because most people, there are thing, there are some things in their lives that they do think, right? This is what's got to be done. I've got to do it. This is when I'm going to do it. Just very basic things that, without which you can't do anything. I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's so important, isn't it? I mean, for quite a long time. Um, even though I was running regularly, I didn't, I never considered myself a runner. I kind of always make excuses. No, I'm not really a runner. Mm. People say, Oh, you run? Well, yeah, I sort of dabble. I don't do yeah. it very seriously and all that sort of stuff. And funny enough, it was Ad Haranan who tweeted once. We were having a, a tweet conversation who, who actually said, Yeah, you're a proper runner. And, and I was like, Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Okay. If someone <laughs> yeah, else thinks yeah. so, and he, he's definitely a proper runner because he's done some yeah. of those things. Um, all right. So it seems bizarre that that, uh, that we need permission um, from, and I guess it's that's quite common for lots of different things in life.
0: Yes, I think it is, and I suppose in some things of life it's not. You don't get permission, but you get something. You know, you, you've got your job, and and your boss is telling you you've got to do that. You know, it's not <laughs> it's not even will I allow myself to turn up to work at nine o'clock in the morning? You know, I've got to. I've been told I've got to do it, and this has got to be done by this afternoon. So. Mm. Um that's when people, you know, work effectively. And it's the, I suppose yeah, it's just a sort of vague aspirations that haven't quite turned into to goals or haven't you haven't worked out exactly what it is that you want. Mm. Um, that I mean I I certainly found out in my experience earlier in life was I spend many, many years thinking I want to be a writer. But I hadn't really thought about, I hadn't really properly thought through about, you know, so what what exactly is it that you want to write? What is this thing that you you just have this sort of vague nebulous idea of being a writer? And until you work, you work through the possibilities and work out what you don't want to be, and then you can't sort work out what you do want to be yeah. or do. Um one actually just sorry to keep rabbiting on but one thing one other thing i remember from those weekends is before one of them just a couple of weeks before we'd had a problem at home we had a problem in our roof and i had to go and clear everything out of the attic um and somewhere at the back of the attic i found this old cardboard box that had been there for 30 years so it was full of my old writings from you know everything from when i was a teenager from you know all through my 20s wow. all the stuff that i used to sit there and do from sort of you know poems and plays to tv scripts etc etc all the sort of on on novels that got started and never finished Wow. um and they're all rubbish I and mean, that's the interesting thing, <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> really they're all rubbish but at the same time I mean, it's, i've found it really exciting finding this box because you could see well that's okay i can throw all this stuff away now i don't need it anymore but back then you, you write the stuff and you think, I don't want to throw this away because, you know, I might lose something. There's something that I'm trying to get out and I don't want to lose it in case it's in here. And so you hang on to all this stuff. And then then later on, you look back and you think, well, you know, well, A, obviously that's rubbish. And B, you know, I was trying, <laughs> I was going down the wrong route. I wasn't, you know, eventually you find a sort of format or a, a medium or something that works for you. And then... And then you know that you don't need the other stuff. But but the process of working through, of making all the mistakes, I think is, a, you know, it, that's a really good thing to do.
1: Okay, you know, you, you, I'm assuming, you, you, you know, you needed that box of, of in your, what you call rubbish, but actually if someone else read it, probably not. I think they'd agree You needed that to, to get to something else. It was part of the journey.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. No, definitely making mistakes, making mistakes. I mean, that's probably true in all sorts of walks of life. Um, but I know that for loads and loads of people who are trying to become writers, there is this big barrier that you don't want to throw away stuff that you've done because you sort of, you're sure that there is something good in it, but you just can't work out what it is. Um, and, yeah, many writers were, have, I can't remember who said it, but, you know, the writer's greatest... This was in the days when you had waste paper baskets, but you know, writers' <laughs> <laughs> great most important tool is the waste paper bit, because you, you know, once you can bring yourself to chuck away the stuff that isn't working, then you've got the space to put in the stuff that does work. But it's very hard to, to sort of have the confidence to throw away stuff, knowing that something better will take its place.
1: Yeah, yeah, confidence that things are gonna gonna evolve. So at what, at what point did you start considering yourself to be a writer? As in, I'm, I'm a writer, That that's me.
0: Um, I don't know. A late point, I think. I mean, I, I was lucky. I you know spent most of my career working in journalism initially. I, I guess I spent all my 20s working in journalism, just as a magazine sub-editor and things like that, wanting to get articles published. And it took me seven or eight years even to get my first, you know, article published in a magazine i think um and then by my 30s i guess i thought well i'm a journalist who writes articles sometimes although i was mainly doing editing stuff like that um but i mean my first book came out when i was 44 or something like that so you know Mm -hmm. i guess that's relatively late in life by some people's well, by most standards. I mean, not not by my standards these days. That was early in life. But, um, and and even then, that was just a book, but it wasn't really how I am living. I mean, really, it's only in the last few years that I've started you know, working. I think of myself principally as a writer of books and less as a journalist. Mm. Um, that's probably mostly because the journalism's gone downhill. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I guess there was a there was an again an important grounding in in those early years of journalism. What, what kinds of things yeah. did you learn in that in those in those days? I think
0: probably the most important thing that you learn from journalism might be. Well, there's two things. One is, is sort of the deadline thing, but ultimately, you know, if something's got to be done by six o'clock and that when it, when it goes off, then you get it done. You do, and it might not be the best possible thing, but it's something. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a fairly important thing because, you know, some people just never finish what they're trying to do because they're always seeking perfection and, you know, a deadline is a deadline and something has to come out. Um, the other more personal thing, I think, which I took a long time to sort of, take on board was the idea of sort of dealing with creative rejection because you know if you do something creative rejection is an absolute fact of life anything you know if you're a freelance journalist and you're pitching articles 90 times you know 95 times out of 100 people are going to say no or you know they won't even bother to answer at all you know and and if you're you know working in a magazine or something like that and you're coming up with ideas and you're presenting them to editors most of them get rejected and you know if you've thought of an idea and you think it's really good or you've written something you think it's really good and people don't want it that is quite a big rejection to take and a lot of people yeah, you know, I think if writing and journalism don't work out for you sometimes that's because you haven't been able to take a, work out how to deal with that mm. you think yeah you know, if someone says no to what I put forward that I think is good then I must be useless. Either I must be useless or their judgment's terrible or what the world's against me or mm-hmm. but mainly I'm useless. <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> um and some somehow you eventually develop this idea that you know it doesn't matter how many of your ideas get rejected, you just keep coming back, keep coming up with more ideas, keep coming up with more and better. Um and and some things get through, you know, and some don't.
1: Yeah. Wow. So so how did you manage to keep going? What what kinds of, you know, here here you are, you know, gone through all of that <laughs> and, and produced. Have, have been
0: run over, I guess.
1: <laughs> what what kept you going? Um, I don't know. I,
0: I suppose I didn't. I mean, you just you keep going. I you know, I I've been pretty lucky. I've well, I've been very lucky, really. I've you know managed to remain employed in some form most of my life or at least I'm living all, all my life um, so often I would go through a period of writing and trying to get some something to work and then that wouldn't work and then maybe you give up for a while and then you come back to it I think you know it's often with if, if there's something that you really want to do sometimes you you try and it goes wrong and you give up and you think that's all right I'm done with that and then you know the urge is still there so you sort of come back to it a little bit later and then you try again maybe from a different direction um and then that doesn't work either and then you leave and you come back and you know ultimately if you feel there's something missing from your life because you're not doing a thing that you really want to do then yeah, you know, I think that that just sort of manages itself event you know the urge will keep coming back and with a bit of luck eventually you'll if you're really lucky you'll somehow make it work for yourself
1: yeah but you might yeah you must have had a strong a strong drive um to get through I'm, I'm just wondering i'm not sure when you started running whether that's a lifelong passion or not you can you can tell me but i just sort of wondered if that was something that you know running's all about keeping going isn't
0: it yeah, it's interesting. that I, I my, my brief history as a runner, I guess, is that I think I probably was quite good at running as a sort of 12, 13 year old. Um, and then pretty soon after that, I just went totally off the rails and started smoking and drinking <laughs> and generally being the worst sort of teenager. And in my life was a real mess for about a, a decade, probably. I was desperately unfit. And at some point in my early 20s i sort of felt that i was really hitting rock bottom and you know i'd blame all my money on drink and cigarettes and gambling and, and there was nothing left except maybe to i thought i'd try and going for a run just to stop myself going mad mm. um and like most people you know first time you go for a run you think oh god everyone's gonna be laughing at me and you think <laughs> i'm gonna die and all that sort of stuff and then but you sort of do notice you feel a bit better afterwards and then you know week later you try again so as a have gradually got into it it it's very much a way of for me it felt like a an important part of taking control of my life from a time when i felt that i just was totally helpless and lost and didn't know what was going on and um and everything was beyond my control but running is this thing where you put in some effort and you get some results back and and you feel pleased with yourself um and and you're starting starting a little bit more self-respect sometimes um and so that was sort of largely what it was in my 20s um and then that sort of gradually helped my me get my life sorted out and back together and so forth by the time I got into my 30s I then got was getting much more serious about it and I was doing a lot of fell running um and that was what my first book feet in the clouds was about it was all about my attempt to do this sort of ultra run called the bob graham round um and maybe that probably had a bit more relevance to the idea of sort of keeping going and not being discouraged by failure and not being discouraged by low patches and and things like that um I don't know. But no, so going backwards, I think I think probably even in my twenties when I was running and starting to get a bit better at it, I found that I liked the it felt really good to just do something and not give up because, you know, so many other things in my life I was just giving up and you know, being hopeless and to think, well, you know, at least you know, when I'm really suffering at the at the end of a run I can just hang on and not Mm -hmm. be the person who quits and that just felt like a good thing. I guess.
1: yeah yeah it's fascinating isn't it because on a number of levels you've got you know the fact that you know you spoke about you know quitting the cigarettes that's something we want to quit but but then mm. there's other things we don't we don't want to quit and and running seems to be one of those things um, and maybe it's out there on its own as it's it's not you know it's so much more than a than a sport or an exercise mm. or a pastime or whatever it really seems to bring meaning, as you said, it—it's you know, it perhaps saved you and took you on a trajectory in your life that was that was mm. so very important.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess it, yeah, you know, running is different things to different people, and it's it's certainly different things at different stages of your life as well. I mean, I've certainly found that you know, I run in completely different ways as as I get older. But um, yeah, I think an awful lot of people, it is just this way of of taking a bit of control, maybe just starting to feel a bit of self-respect. I mean, it doesn't matter what, what your time is or you know where you come in the race or something like that. I mean, every, everyone knows when, when you run, you, you're forced to be very honest with yourself, really, I think, in a way that it's possible not to be honest with yourself in almost all other areas of life. But, you know, if you go for a run, you know whether you've done the best you could or not, um, and you know whether you – did all the training you meant to do or not and you know if you didn't then you think well i'll try better next time so it is quite a sort of it's a nice wholesome space in your life and you know for me for there was a period when it was really the one part of my life when i wasn't harming myself (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and and i'm sure loads of people find that as well that you know when, when they're running they're you know every step is a step in the right direction i mean um and that and that's a nice feeling but then you know as you you get older eventually it you know becomes so incorporated into your life that it's much more for me just a sort of a habit or a thing that i do and you know why why wouldn't i go for a run? i mean it's not there's no willpower or anything like that it's just something you do for because it's nice
1: yeah yeah, so you're. I was in, you know, you brought up a few things there around. You know, the longevity. I, I just want to keep running for as long as I can, and to to enjoy it without the pressure of the you know the watch and the, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. and the times and the placing. And um, and you know, there's a, there's quite a big move, isn't there, to 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 just bring joy back into running. And actually, if you do that, the argument is the results will speak for themselves.
0: Yeah, I think that. I mean, I don't. I don't know how long the results go on speaking for themselves. I think. I think certainly. I personally think, and I know some people disagree, that we get a bit too much um, in modern running, which is all to do with performance, all to do with the clock, all to do with the results you upload and share with people, and um, it's all to do with outcome rather than process or experience, Um, and... There's nothing wrong with that. And there certainly have been long periods of my life where that was really what I cared about. And, you know, that's the art of running in a way. You blot out the experience, you blot out the pain because you want to get that time. Um, but the other side of running, which, you know, is what you were talking about just then, is that, uh, you know, makes you feel good and, and healthy and grounded. And the older, you know, having hit middle aged and the outcomes inevitably, get slightly worse (laughs) they're (laughs) slightly less encouraging and motivating but just getting out there and and exercising and you know I'm really lucky I live in the countryside and I go out and run in the fields and things like that Mm. and you know just immerse myself in nature and that's that feels really good and for for me that's what gets me out in the morning and then as a result that's why you know I have kept running through middle age and um, presumably I'm fitter than I would have been Otherwise, if I you
1: know, yeah uh, off, yeah sure yeah I somehow I can't I can't see you coming back and, and immediately going on to Strava.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think that's right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but so uh, I mean, just just going, I, I, I want to talk about the Bob Graham Round, of course, because that you know that's uh, and and the then the brilliant book, but um, but but you know preceding that and and in your twenties, so I'm, I'm thinking then that's when you were at university.
0: Yeah, I was I went to university really young. I think I left university when I was twenty. Mm-hmm. Um so which is probably part of my problem back then That's <laughs> I was way younger than everyone else.
1: But but you um I mean the, the experiences you just mentioned, but but also I, I read your recent article about your your role, um, your acting role. <laughs> is is it's <Also> <laughs> um I mean have you have you always been a thespian or um
0: no 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 not really really I'm not I'm not an actor in any sense but um I, I was when I was a my last term at, I think it was my last term at, at Cambridge and um Chariots of Fire was being shot there or was supposed to be being shot there and they were just recruiting extras and so those who were not very committed to their studies and desperate for <laughs> money which included me um signed up and so yeah, you know we just went and appeared as extras in various points um, and it was, a, and yeah, looking back on the whole I think of it as a really stupid thing to do and I think I had this fantastic opportunity of being at Cambridge and I should have been focusing on my studies and I just I actually feel, you know, most weeks I feel ashamed of myself for having been such a stupid teenager and not made the most of the opportunities but but on the other hand I did get involved in this film, *Charisma Fire, um I did write this article explaining why I claim that I won part of an Oscar, but um, <laughs> that's for my singing. But um, that's obviously nonsense. But but what I subsequently realised when I was writing that article, and it had really never occurred to me before, was that when Chariots of Fire* came out, I guess a year after I left university, and um, and that was I was absolutely at the rock bottom of my life then, and you know drunk all the time and you know and all sorts of problems um and i saw the film for the first time and i think that was really the very first time that i thought you know a week or two later or well, maybe i will just go out for a jog and see because you know it did it did just convey a sense of, of what's nice about running you know the sort of romance of it the excitement the adventure of it um and for me, that's all. Ultimately, that's the most important thing about running. It's always the sense that it's the adventure and the romance, um, and all the different books I've written about running have been some way focused on that. You know, um, even my biography of Emil Zatopek, who was you know an Olympic runner who was you know famous for his times and his medals and things like that. But for me, what was so special about him was that for him, running was wasn't a romantic adventure, and it wasn't just about winning and results and things like that. It was about the whole, you know, just self discovery and discovering other people and discovering the world and connecting with the world.
1: Right, that's. I mean, that's fascinating. How did you actually? Because so, what was the? Tell me the order of your of your running books.
0: So running right with running books, what happened was. Um, um, the first one was Feet in the Clouds, which was about fell running. And I wrote that because, A, I'd spent most of the previous 10 years being obsessed with fell running and doing a lot of it. And then a publisher happened to come along saying, does anyone know a writer who knows about fell running? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'd just written an article about it, so, which is how you got in touch. So you know, that just happened, and that, and that was that was nice. And I wrote about something that I knew a lot about. Then I didn't write about running for quite a while, and then I wrote "Running Free," which um, sort of subtitled a, a runner's journey back to nature. And that's really um, a bit more about what we were just talking about them um, how I went from being very focused on results and times and and outcomes generally, and just learning to run in a more sort of existential way or you know mindful way, really, um, and. It's, a lot of it's about nature and and just the way I interact with nature and you know running with my dog and mm. and things like that. Um, and then the third one was I think while I was writing that someone then asked me, did I know anyone who wanted to write might want to write about Emil Zatopek? And Emil Zatopek, for you know, if your listeners are too young to remember, you, you know, he used to be the most famous. Sportsman in the world back in the 1940s and 1950s, and he's the only person ever to win three distance running gold medals at the same Olympic Games you know, 5,000 meters, 10,000 meters, marathon. Um, running the marathon for the first time ever when he won run the, run the gold medal. Um, but, um, and he's, he's always been a bit of a hero of mine. Um, right back from the days in my 20s when I first took up running and first began to think of running as a way of, you know, acquiring self respect and self discipline. Mm. Um, because back then everyone sort of knew about some of the Zaspet legends and how he used to run with his army boots on and run in the snow and the run at night and run in the sentry box and run in the bar. You know, is this guy who was just so run carrying a heavy pack, you know, run with his wife on his back. You know, this, this guy was just so, so tough and self self disciplined, but also at the same time, very human and friendly and constantly, you know, making friends with people from all nations. Um, so it's a lovely story to be written about him. I always thought, and, and then subsequently, um, he became a, a hero of the Prague Spring. So when um, communist Czechoslovakia was trying to liberalise itself in the 1960s, and then the Soviet Union didn't approve and organise the invasion of Czechoslovakia in 1968, Zatopek, who had been a great communist hero, was one of the people confronting and denouncing the Russian soldiers and speaking up for democracy. And so as a result, he went from being this sort of great national hero to being a a non-person and he was sort of you know chucked out of all his jobs and he went off and basically disappeared for several years and no one knew what had happened to him um so i'd always thought right that was a really interesting story to be told about him um and but i'd always thought it'd be beyond me to do it because you know he was dead and he lived in czechoslovakia and it all took place in a foreign country etc but then somehow by the time I'd written two running books, and then this publisher got in touch, and I said, well, actually, I'm really interested in Zatepec. um that just about gave me the confidence to, to go out and give it a try, mm-hmm. and so I guess that was 2014, I went to 2015, went to the Czech Republic for the first time, and that began a whole new phase of my life, really. Yeah, wow.
1: Uh, So, I mean, how how do you start something like that? As you said, foreign country, you know, history, trying to tell a story.
0: Very difficult. Um, Well, I mean, I started by trying to track down his widow and eventually making contact with his widow, Dana, who was still alive back then. And... um, Finding an interpreter and in a cheap flight—you know, it was very, very cheap flights back then. Um, <laughs> learning my first words of Czech, and then, and then taking it from there. But it just—there was such a beautiful story waiting to be told. And a lot of people in the Czech Republic were really helpful. And I just found I really liked it, liked it out there, and got on really well with the people. And I started trying to learn the language and say forth and um, and just sort of. It worked really. I, I thought, thought it worked. I was quite pleased with
1: the Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's that's a great story in itself. And actually, I remember because you were with one of the chaps on the we the writing weekend. Weren't you talking Czech?
0: Oh, possibly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was. He was a translator. He you yeah. a translator. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I just I just thought. That. So so how's your Czech now?
0: It's. So you say I mean it's 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 way you know I never imagined until that point that I'd ever learn a foreign language let alone Czech but but eventually I just got so into it I and mean, then I subsequently wrote another book with a Czech subject because I um, had sort of kept up the kept up the language and was trying to learn it and so I spent a lot of time there and I still you know I can speak so so really (laughs) i'm not not gonna do it on this but okay i have a conversation if you like
1: (laughs) i mean it's it's a beautiful place Uh, i mean i've only been to um you know small small kind of part of it but um but but loved i mean long long time ago before it became you know really quite quite popular um but do do you still have sort of connections and and ties there yeah no i've
0: got a lot of good friends there yeah and yeah i hope when all this quarantine stuff's over i'll be able to go back there and spend more time there um it's i mean it's a lovely country yeah
1: yeah brilliant brilliant um so the uh, the feet in the in the clouds again when i was out running uh, this morning before chatting i was i was thinking about when how funny things are i i i like to visit dawn books in marylebone when i'm up in town on a friday and um, there's a chap who works there who I tend to chat to about things. And, and I was, I can't remember what conversation we were having about running. And he said to me, um, Oh, have you read Feet in the Clouds? And I said, Well, no, you know, tell me about this book. And he was like, Oh, you'll love that. So he went off and, and found it and, and came back. And I was, like, Oh, Feet in the Clouds, Richard Asquith, isn't it great? And, and, and read it and loved it. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic book with you know a combination of the the story and the of you and the history and, and all together it's it's mm-hmm. fantastic, sort of interwoven mm-hmm. um and um and, th- and then of course i suppose the the running writing retreat probably came up fairly soon after that You're right, okay. story, right. And, and i'd read you know ad haranan's book as well um mm-hmm. rise of the ultras and it was like oh you know this is you know this is when life kind of opens up for you isn't mm-hmm. the door opens and you think yeah oh. um but uh, but how how did you get into fell running?
0: I think totally by chance. Well, actually, I was quite like like quite a lot of southern fell runners, um, I was someone who liked running and I liked mountains. You know, I'd often been hiking in the fells. I just didn't know that you could combine the two. Um, and but then I don't know a friend of a friend was doing it, and he was trying to do the Bob Graham Round, which you tend to need support runners for and so he asked a friend to do it and then I was asked to do it as well, just to, to do a bit of running. So I went and tried it and then got involved in these this pers- other person's attempt to do the Bob Graham round, which he tried a couple of times and didn't manage to do. And then somehow by that point I was hooked, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Really, um yeah. but it's a yeah you know, it's a very Inconvenient and stupid thing to get hooked on really if you're if you're living down south because you know you have to spend an awful lot of time driving out to the fells and
1: yeah, yeah, so you were where where were you living at the time?
0: I was mostly living in London at the time, I and mean, later on I was living here in northamptonshire um but still you know down south yeah. but I guess you know this was mostly initially it was before I had children and so this all that a period of your life when you're a bit, a bit freer, mm. um, and yeah, just somehow managed it. Really, it's... yeah.
1: So, th- so as you said, this the, this sort of interest developed before before you wrote the book. So it wasn't that you did it to write the book. You no, you no, already, you'd already kind of you know got into it. Um, yes, and, and and driving up um, uh, for, for weekends, I assume, and and doing some stuff, and then driving back.
0: That's right, yes. Oh, you know, sometimes driving out for a bit longer and sometimes, you know, all, all the sort of crazy stuff in London of, you know, running up the down escalators and, you know, always finding the fire step, you know, going up the stairs rather than lift even of the tallest buildings and things and mm-hmm. running up and down stairwells and things like that. But I um, know the, the, the toughest thing about the whole experience was is driving back down south on a on a Sunday afternoon when you know, your legs are totally trapped, I mean, you try and get out of the car at the other end and you can't even straighten up. I mean.
1: <laughs> because it's, um, you know, it's, it's such an art, isn't it? The, the running of, on that kind of terrain. Um, can you describe some of the terrain that you have to cover? Because, you know, some people will be familiar with the Bob Graham round. Maybe they've tried it or, or done some fell running, but others may not, never have heard of it before yeah so i suppose
0: the thing about fell running especially english or you know british fell running is that it's it's really all-terrain stuff so it's not just tracks or trails it's it you know, could be running over anything from you know, just grass, heather, bogs, scree, yeah. rock you know this whatever it is you you work out the shortest route and you, and you go for it um and and the people who are best at it tend to you know spend all their lives in the mountains and they're just incredibly light footed really good at, at reading the ground so they you know they know which stone to jump on and things like that very confident going on downhill the first time you do it as a southerner um, and when i first started doing it i was very very fit in a sort of probably i was probably the fittest i'd ever been in a in a london sense and you know in a gym sense i was you know I was muscular and Heart and lungs and stuff like that, but but you have to do so much extra work when you're, for example, right going down a steep mountainside because you're southern and you're scared and you're, <laughs> you're trying to be in con- control things all the time, um and you're you know trying to bring all your weight under control and not doing anything stupid, um and really if you can just relax and and go for it it's much 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 easier, and so so the best fell runners are. are you know, in addition to being super fit and super light and super agile, they're they're very confident and they don't they don't waste time. You know, they just go for it going downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the sort of fascination of the sport of fell running is the, the sort of balance between going up and going down. you know, there are many great rivalries where you know one person's a better ascender and the other's a better descender um and it's all a question of who can improve most and and how much work you put into the up and how much you've got to keep in reserve for the for the down yeah
1: yeah what what were you were you more of an uh, an upper or a, or a downer
0: i think i i think i started off as being more of more of an upper definitely but then the older you get when you keep you know fell running for years and years the older you get the slower you get and then you find that yeah, you know, the way to catch up with the younger fitter ones is just to go for it a bit more on the descent. So, <laughs> which doesn't require so much fitness, it just requires a bit more recklessness. Yeah, so I right. think I probably did get much better at the at the descents. And yeah, I certainly tended to find in you know by my mid late forties in, in a race I would you know people would overtake me going up and then I'd overtake them back again going down and then it would be the same on the the next mountain.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, was this sort of punctuated by a number of, you know, um, learning falls? Could we could we call them that or something? <laughs> it certainly was. Yeah. A few yes. Knees and, and and palms of hands and things.
0: Bloody knees and palms of hands. Yeah, um, regularly, but they weren't too bad. I mean, the thing I that really I suffered from was sprained ankles, which is, yeah. you know, in a sense, it's the biggest hazard. And ideally, as a fellow runner, never get that or you develop very, very strong ankle ligaments and just very, very good micro balance. Mm. Um I think I've probably over the years done so much damage to at least one of my ankles it'll never quite function completely properly <laughs> again. But yeah. um yeah. but yeah, loads of I mean oddly enough that I felt, I was one of I was thinking about you and your and your pain coaching and I was wondering thinking about what my Sort of pain experiences were. I often found that I would get a really bad sprain from some fell running disa- disaster. You, know, you wouldn't be able to run and it would gradually get better, um, but never quite 100% get better. I've, al- I've always had this problem of, you know, often an injury doesn't, you get through the first 95% of healing, but there's just a little bit left. Yeah. And I always found the only, I've al- you know, always, thought and said that the only way to completely cure a sprained ankle is to sprain the other ankle. And then suddenly, <laughs> suddenly you you can't sense what's any problems in the previous one before.
1: Yeah, no, there, uh, there, there is some kind of strange logic in, um, in that, but, but you're right. You know, I, um, you know, sports people, and, and, and I think certainly runners are guilty of this, aren't they, on the whole, of, of not fully rehabilitating injuries and, and getting back out you know, mm. as, as quickly as possible. Um, I know on the, um, the, the fairly recent podcast, it was dedicated to the Bob Graham round, which I know you, you appeared on. Um, what, the guy there didn't. He he had various problems with his Achilles, and and then yes. going back to the start, working with several people, and, and mm. really, you know, walk starting with walking, and then all sorts of exercises, and had to really slowly build it up with these looming dates. You know, oh, I've got to be yeah. doing at this time. So, um, yeah, you've got to, if you know, if if you want to really recover, you you've got to put it. You've got to commit to it. You've got to commit to that being your picture of success.
0: Well, that you will be completely better,
1: yeah. But I think that you're never exactly the same,
0: yeah. Because that's something I struggle with because I often find that you, I almost start to, I'm sure, which I'm sure loads of runners do, you start thinking, Well, am I just getting neurotic? You know, I can still feel is it better? It feels like it's better, or can I just feel a little something there? And yeah, is it is that pain, or is it just me imagining it? I don't know, and yeah, um so sometimes part of me thinks well actually you need at some point to just chuck it you know just say it, i'm better now. i'm just going to do it regardless but yeah i don't know if that's wise or not
1: yeah it's it's a it's a big gray area um and and you're right you know you can you can certainly um have a pain experience by thinking and focusing on your body in a particular way even with mm-hmm. no injury or it might have healed that that's right absolutely true so you know, pain and injury are very poorly related. Um, mm. and, and yeah, if, you, if you've had a repeated problem or something that's lingered on for a while, you do, mm. you become very bodily focused, you're checking it out. You know, when you're running, you're kind of going, oh, how does that, mm. that all run? Right? Mm. And, and purely through that oh, that process, you could bring on your pain. And that pain's real. It's not imagined. It's there. Mm. It's your reality. But it's it's not tethered to any kind of tissue damage. Mm. it's it's your brain just kind of saying predicting if you like well there could be something there because perhaps the way you're thinking about it or when we run before it's been a problem Mm. um so so sort of helping people navigate that it's it's more complex than people think and it's obviously more complex than people would like it to be if you see what i mean Mm. Mm. be simple and, and quick recovery and all the rest of it um but that i mean that's a whole kind of massive kind of conversation um you know looking at at pain and and injury particularly in running and the psyche of of, Mm. of, of runners yeah Um, because I'm sure a lot of
0: a lot of yeah especially when you're relatively experienced runner you realize that there are these issues and sometimes sometimes you ignore the pain too much and sometimes you focus on the pain too much but you just end up with so many things that you might be doing wrong that you don't know what you're doing wrong you just end up in a chaos of possible mistakes you're yeah
1: making. yeah and, and you know same with you know if you then bring in technique oh should I be like this or that and then that yeah. sort of starts pulling you think oh. so mm-hmm. you you end up not getting back from the run perhaps not even remembering the run because all you've done yes. is all about how I'm running does it hurt how am I running does it hurt and then an hour later you're like oh I'm home and uh hmm, there we go that was fun not
0: <laughs> yeah that's oddly, oddly enough that was um just going back to these running and writing retreats that we we're talking about, one of my vivid memories of one of them, I don't know if it was one you were at, was that, it probably was actually, that I've been having this problem with my Achilles that had been going on for weeks and, well, months and months probably. And, it, you know, it was fine, I could run right just about, but it never quite got, got better. And I was thinking I won't be able to do all this running with um, these much keener runners and you know, two days of long runs over Dartmoor. Um, and then we had the weekend and we had all these runs and you know, everyone was talking all the time and discovering all these interesting things. And it was just a fascinating weekend. And then driving back at the end, I suddenly thought, well, that's odd. Yeah. I didn't have any problems with my kidneys. It's gone, it's better. <laughs> so, so you yeah, know, for me, that was very much just finally not focusing on it at all, not thinking about it at all. And that was what, yeah. what got me
1: through it. Well, that That's it, and um, you know, it's very likely that there's nothing significant issue wise going on. Oh, mm. turn, this, this turn into a consultation, um, <laughs> I'm but, sorry. But, um but, yeah. You know, where, where our attention is, and as you say, mm. you know, we were running along, and you know, everyone was chatting and getting to know each other and sharing mm. stories, and that's far more interesting, of course, than you know, yeah, a, than the beautiful countryside and the fact that are all away, it's and you know, there's a lot of mm. novelty there, so so yeah, absolutely, you, you can find that you don't think about it until you think about it or until someone mentions it Um, and and the great thing is you can kind of move on from that you can build on that because you then know implicitly that you can run and it's fine
0: Mm, yeah Um, so it's about
1: training your attention a little bit more and and of course looking after yourself and perhaps realizing where you may have gone wrong before with your with your training but, yeah. um, but did did it, You know, in in the process of the Bob Graham Round, was there anything that, that sort of slowed you down or any any sort of hiccups?
0: There were, <laughs> there were so many hiccups I wouldn't know where to begin. <laughs> so with, with the Bob Graham Round, um, for those who, who don't know what it is, what you're trying to do is is run 42 peaks. I mean, it's about 66 miles, and you've got 24 hours to do it. And I think part. Part of the key to me writing about my own running is I'm really not very good at running. Yeah. You know, I think there are people who can get around Bob Graham around and it's it's doable. Whereas for me it was absolutely be yeah, you know, just beyond the outer limits of what I was capable of. So it was really a question I thought, surely if I put enough willpower and planning and dedication into this, I will be able to crack this problem. But it was absolutely pushing me to my limits. And I ended up over a period of about 5 years having four attempts at it and the first three you know ended in failure you know one time I was had a bad injury which was a problem another time it was just terrible the one of the things you get is terrible weather and you can't see where you're going and you get lost and you end up doing an extra <laughs> five or ten or twenty miles and you <laughs> run out of time so that that did for me one time another time it's beautiful weather it's just so hot you know just everyone got hopelessly dehydrated and um just ran out of fuel um so there was a, a lot of those sort of problems um ultimately though it sort of came down to willpower um, or something inside me. And I ended up thinking, and this, you know, this appears in Fleet, Fleet in the Clouds, that somehow deep down, I maybe I didn't really want to do it. Um, and this has sort of some relevance to people trying to be writers as well. So basically, if you're trying to do something really, really physically difficult and demanding and painful for 24 hours, um and you give up after about 16 hours then you only get 16 hours of pain if you're not going to give up and you're going to carry on to the end you've actually got to have a whole lot more pain and <laughs> and I was doing all this incredibly hard training you know absurd amounts of training um down south and you know I was I remember, you know, going to this gym and people used to complain about the puddles of sweat that I was creating. <laughs> it was just insane how much I was doing. So I was putting on all this effort and all these hours and all this time and, you know, never going out never doing anything else by the end. Um, and yet somehow when I got there, I didn't quite have the, the willpower to, to want those last the final eight hours of it or final six or seven hours of it. Um, and eventually, um, I mean, I sort of describe it in Peter McLeod as this moment when I'm sort of running on Dartmoor and training and and I want to give up. And then suddenly I realise, you know, if you give up now, then you're always going to give up. Sometimes you just have to think, you know, do I want this or or not? Um, And if I want this, then I've got to want all the stuff that follows, including the pain and the, if necessary, the falling over and collapsing. You know, you've got to have, you've got to, somehow be committed to it you know deep inside from from your heart um and and subsequently i thought that i i had experienced similar problems with writing where for example i start this sort of great self-exposing novel or something like that but somehow i didn't actually really want to (laughs) to finish it and get it out there i didn't want to have that that degree of exposure or or self revelation or something like that. So mm-hmm. and what worked for me with writing was eventually finding this thing for Peter McLeod's where I was mostly writing about other people and partly writing about myself, and that was the sort of level of self exposure that I felt comfortable with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so with with the Bob Graham round, um, eventually I sort of worked out how the degree of willpower and desire I needed, um, and and that. And then a lot of the rest of it is all to do with sort of project planning and project management and thinking, you know, if I've got to do that and I've got to do that amount of training and if I'm going to be there after 24 hours and I've got to be there after after 12 hours, I've got to be here and and trying to just monitor how well or badly you're doing throughout and not kid yourself that you're doing better than you are or that it's going to be easier than it is. Um, Mm. So like all running, just loads and loads and loads of honesty required. And for me... Probably that required more honesty than any other writing I've ever done.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, you 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 lay yourself bare, I suppose. Um, and as you say, you've got to be open to everything, not mm. to cherry pick the good bits. And, mm. and our, the modern world has kind of encouraged that—that that we can cherry pick the good bits, we can be happy we, without all the other stuff, which is just yes. realistic which again is why I think this, you know, running, particularly ultra running, fell running, mm-hmm. you know, just it just does so much for, for the person in realising mm-hmm. perhaps themselves and, and about life.
0: Yeah, well, one of the things, I'm, I'm, sorry, one of the things I got from Bob Graham round about um, writing is that uh, you, know, you learn that there are good patches and bad patches, and you're in a good patch, you know, don't kid yourself, it's going to last forever. You're in a bad patch think yeah that's not going to last forever either sometimes you just have to think right i'm in a trough and yeah on a 24 or an ultra race of any kind you get in a trough at some and you just have to believe um and eventually from experience you can believe that you know it will it will pass and there will be a, a better phase at some point afterwards
1: yeah yeah no absolutely and so the fourth one
0: fourth running book
1: (laughs) no no sorry the fourth round. your fourth your fourth fourth
0: book grammar grammar. sorry right okay yeah yeah
1: we're still on that the fourth round so what what was what was different there
0: oddly enough there was sort of it was relatively uneventful it it was sort of thing where i had decided that i was going to do it and i wasn't going to give up i had the i was just in the right mindset i was going to take control of it i wasn't going to let rely on anyone else for for navigation or timing or anything like that or making sure I had the right food um I was just gonna and in a strange sort of way it was all uneventful you know just it went according to plan I had the plan I was gonna stick with it and that was it um, so it was
1: kind of no surprises as such
0: in a way in a way no surprises yes I mean there, there was one surprise which is probably too big a distraction here about um the the route i'd one route i took and you know doing a bit of climbing that i was terrified of that i had been wimping out of um most of the time um which which made it a bit easier to accomplish the the task um but o- often you know w- when you set yourself a big task and you succeed it's sort of that means that there haven't been any big dramas and it has gone according to plan yeah. um yeah whereas the ones that are seared on my memory are the ones that went horribly wrong
1: yeah it's yeah it's, it's almost like there's there's less of a story isn't there when it's like yeah i went i did it i i it went to plan i finished it yeah great
0: yeah exactly <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean there wouldn't be any soap operas if, uh, no. if that were the case were the well also
0: reality tv is the thing that that really depends on things going wrong um and Sometimes I've heard, you know, someone was saying the other day, you know, a director saying we need something to go wrong fast because <laughs> <it's, laughs> we, we need to
1: throw a spanner in the works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, as as I, uh, I think my wife was watching Love Island last night, and all right, uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, I, I'm usually far away from that in another room but um mm-hmm. but yeah no it's uh the, these things are popular for for that reason but what c- uh, can you still remember finishing because there, there must have been some kind of emotional release having tried so much put in so much effort and then you you finally reach the finish line
0: yeah there was a big relief i mean i can remember so the final bits of it used sort to of come down off the last mountain, and then you had to run about six miles on the road to get back to the place you started. Um, and as a sort of southern runner, once you're back on a road, you sort of, <laughs> no matter how much you love the mountains, you feel a bit a bit safer on the road. And, you know, so I, I could work out from the time that as long as I didn't stop, I was going to do it. And um, that was an amazing feeling. But it was actually, the main feeling was very much of just a sort of, weight being released from my shoulder this thing had been bugging me for years mm-hmm. from the first time i tried it i really thought you know i must be able to do that i can't believe i quit and i can't believe because when, when you do when you do the ball growing Round and you don't finish um you there's probably a moment when you quit and when you quit you're thinking i just this i can't endure this pain anymore it's just too much it's got to stop um, and by the next day you can't remember the pain. And you think, well, you know, how could I have been so pathetic? You know, what um and loads of people have had this experience. And, and you know, it's probably the same in any in an ultra race, or something like that. Um and so that sense of total failure and um lack of self-worth and un- unfinished business was just had been weighing on me, often without me really being conscious of it, for for years and years and years. And then suddenly you know, I finished, that was all gone. Um, And it it wasn't so much sort of elation, it was more actually, I remember for weeks afterwards, I could barely keep awake. I was just sort of so, (laughs) I was so relaxed and, oh, you know, great, fantastic. That this thing off my back and I kept falling asleep (laughs) wherever I was. (laughs)
1: And and did you give yourself a, a bit of time off before you started running again? Um...
0: I can't remember, probably before I started running seriously, yes. But oddly, I didn't feel that bad after each of my failures. I felt terrible, you know, for really weeks, months, I, you know, aches, pains, injuries, etc. After finishing it, just felt a little bit tired, stiff, but really not so bad. Yeah. And I think I probably had worked out by then that, you know, when you've done a really tough bit of running, it does help to keep moving at least yeah. the next day and the next day. And, um, yeah. But it was a long time before I pushed myself to do anything serious after that. I sort of felt, actually, that I'd put my wife and my kids by then as well through so much um, of my absence <laughs> that you know, I probably, <laughs> probably needed to call a halt for this sort yeah. of thing. So I, I sort of didn't really take it any further for a while after that. I just sort of eased off and just ran for fun. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, would you say that was your, your peak in terms of notable experiences I mean I know you love running and, and getting out each day and so each you know run is a, is a little journey isn't it but but in terms of you know a sense of achieving in my running career would you say that's that's the peak I'd say that's
0: that's my only running achievement
1: <laughs> which I mean it's a hell of an achievement though isn't it I mean god it's it's one of the biggies it's one of the the best known challenges isn't it in the running world
0: I guess so I mean I think I think for me it, it was a bigger achievement because as I said I mean it was just a sort of, Absolutely at the limit of of what I'm capable of, um and obviously you know there are loads of people who can do much much more than that. And you know since it's interesting that since I wrote *Feeding the Clouds*, which came out in 2004, and you know all the records and things that I've mentioned have been just you know slashed away, especially in the last two, three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. You know a whole new breed of of fell runners out there and you know, with a small p, professional and their attitudes and, you know, properly prepared and scientifically prepared and um, people are just approaching it a completely different way and, and all the times are changing. Yeah. Um, but for me, I mean, it's a bit like, I suppose, when, you know, some people climb Everest or something like that, you know, for, for me, it was the ultimate achievement I'll ever be capable of in a sporting sense. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. But that was, you know, it's almost, uh, well, the book came out in 2004. I mean, we're talking about 20 years, aren't we? So, mm. and, and how things have changed. You said there's been all sort and of, particularly over lockdown, all sorts of, of records, mm. you know, Damien Hall and, and John Kelly and, and, and others. Mm. You know, quite a few actually, weren't there, in, in different places. And, um, yeah, the, you know, the training's become much more serious. The kit's different, you know. The days when you know, you look at some of the old shoes and and people mm. running in sort of long long shorts and, and like old school shirt and and mm. a couple of boiled eggs in their pocket uh, to now yeah. with you know this a van packed with stuff um, mm. and, and and all the navigation tools so it's, it's a different ball game isn't it? It is a different
0: ball game and I guess you know that's that's the nature of life and I think it is quite you know there are people in fell running and it's quite easy to sort of sympathize with them or, or join in them thinking oh it's not how it used to be and you know it's not the same and it's all being spoiled <laughs> but you know life goes on and you know life evolves and you know you always use you know 25 years ago i was using better equipment than people were using 50 years ago mm-hmm. and you know making use of other people's root re- experience yeah i mean oddly enough i went up a, a couple of weeks ago getting together with a whole load of the friends I used to do fell running with twenty five years ago, yeah. um most of whom actually weren't even capable of running anymore. And then yeah. um two of I think four of us went off and, and sort of had a run, quite a lot of it along the Bob Graham route. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to see how, you know, what had been just totally virgin heather or, you know, rough turf and rock and things like that had sort of piles worn across it now where mm-hmm. people were following the Bogram route. Um yeah. and and obviously that makes things a, a lot oh yeah a fair bit easier. Um mm-hmm. and just yeah, you know, the the world has changed and uh, there are more people out there, more people going on the fails and more people are aware of it and yeah. um, and good for them really. I don't think yeah. that'd be great, you not. Know
1: yeah i mean it's it's great that more people want to obviously we've got to balance that with the environment we don't you know mm. and paths you know we're talking about damage and, and things like that but but mm. if if the countryside is respected and, and looked after i know someone like you know damien's very big on on the environment isn't he yeah. with with his um with his running um but yeah it's it's inevitable that things are going to change i think it's never helpful to go oh in my day it was harder you know it's it, mm. things are always evolving that, that's the beauty of it and, and and we talk about broken records don't we but but you you can never take away the fact that someone had a record or achieved something
0: mm. Um, mm.
1: because you you just can't compare you can't compare people I mean, and this is kind of my opinion I suppose because we each have our own story we have our own genetics we have our own experiences so it's very difficult mm. to make a, comp- a good comparison
0: yes it is I, th- I think one thing I sort of very much know that in terms of of mountain toughness um i think some of the early fell runners yeah, in, in the 60s and 70s were just so much tougher and hardier and more you know proper people of the mountains than than i'll ever be for example you know i put me up on a high mountain when i'm exhausted and lost and it's cold and, <laughs> and rocky and foggy and everything like that <laughs> and i've become a pretty pathetic creature <laughs> um and all i really want is just you know find my way safely home and get into a warm bath or something. <laughs> yeah. um but you know the guys who were setting the early records in, in and and things like that they were just going out there with the you know they might have had i remember one guy winning the the mountain trial race and you know he just found an old fertilizer sack and put that over <laughs> himself to to keep the wind off him i mean you know, they just had no equipment they had you know maybe a compass and a not very good map and that was it And they just, it was just a real sort of self-reliance that i just admire very much and i you know i wish i had a bit of that but i don't think i've got very much yeah well but I probably I got of have a lot use. more than
1: than most having having done what you you've done um but yeah, I think, you know, your where, where we come from certainly has a big influence. You know, you see, I, I sort of, if you flick through Instagram, you see certain people, you know, running on the mountains every day. And, and it's, it's just part of them, isn't it? It's, if it's mm-hmm. you know, taking to an extreme, you know, someone like Killian Jorne, who's just been brought up that way and does all these incredible things. You know, he's mm-hmm. right. Up, you know, um, and um, you, you know, if you've lived in London, you're just not going to.
0: Be that way, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no, no that, that's if So it. you just you just sort yeah.
1: of find you find your own way. So, I mean, on a on a sort of a day to day basis, then what's your what's your routine as a as a as a writer runner? Is it that way around, or runner writer? Which way would you prefer?
0: I think I'm very much I'm less of a runner than I am a writer. I mean, what I normally do is I get up, um deal with. I used to take dog for a run, but the dog's a bit old for running now, so I um deal with the dog and then go for a run in the fields so that i don't really time it or measure it um slightly depends how much you know when i've woken up um and distance and routes it depends on time of year you know where the cows are and the sheep are and things like that you know how long where i can get through where i can't get through so i just run for, for a bit um i like that because it really sort of clears my head and Sometimes I'm sort of tempted to do something useful with the time, and yeah, listen to a podcast or listen to language learning thing or something like that. But I, I really try not to do that because it's. I've just found it so much better for my well-being if I just go out there, look around me, let my mind wander, yeah, you know, look out for nature. It's, you get to know the fields around you. You know where you might see yeah and I know where I might see hares or where I might mm. see some deer and forth. and you just go around looking and seeing what you can smell and see and hear um then I come back then yeah, often often then I come back and I've had some by the end I've suddenly found I've got some really good ideas or things mm. for my writing um you know like maybe just a sentence or a phrase or something like that and it's really crucial that i somehow found a way to write that down <laughs> yeah. before anything else happens you know if i once get sort of you know caught up in family and breakfast and stuff like that then it all just sort of disappears in a near yeah. yeah, incoming emails and it all disappears but get that written down and that's actually yeah, it made a bit of progress um and then yeah, the rest of the time i i write
1: yeah mm. yeah okay yeah, that's a key one, isn't it? There's, a, there's been a number of times where I've been out, and you, you do, the idea comes. And sometimes I stop and put it into my phone. Um, yes. And find that I'm standing there for five minutes thinking about something, some idea I've had. And then I'm, oh, right, I'm not supposed to be out for a run. And then you,
0: yes, put it yeah.
1: Away. But I'm so worried that I'm going to get back and it's going to have gone.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very tricky. I mean, I, I did go through a phase of trying, you know, taking a little recorder with me and trying to do it but i just could never get it right and you sort of listen to it afterwards and just be (laughs) 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 um but also i find that you know trying to remember stuff um it then sort of turns over in my head and then sometimes it improves so you know the fact that i haven't written it down or recorded it straight away often means that i end up with something better um so i sort of tend to I've ended up slightly trusting the process. So you know, if you just go for a run, have confidence in the world, it will come. But but as soon as I get home, I have to write it down, or it will disappear. Yeah, yeah, so.
1: uh, great, great. Oh, it's been fantastic to um, to to listen to your your stories. Um, where where can people um, find you and uh, your books?
0: Well, I'm. I'm very feeble online. I do almost nothing, yeah. as you might have gathered. But I do have a website, um, which is richardaskwith.co.uk. That's richardaskwith, all one word, a s k w i t h dot um, co dot u um, k, and that probably has links to most things. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm doing my books. Okay. Okay. Yeah, funny if I did I did look at your website and you 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 make an excuse for it on there. You you're very clear about the fact that you're, you know you, you've got no no intention to make it any better. No, oh, that's fine. That's the I have a
0: very distant, well, it's one of those things said, like going back to what, it's one of those things where I have a vague intention to make it better, but I just don't have a plan. And so <laughs> it's not gonna happen.
1: Yeah, there we go. Well look, you go on there, it tells you about you, it's got it's got your books, what, what else do you need? yeah brilliant no well i'll put all those on the um on the page um but thanks so much for um for making time and Not at all. um i uh, well i hope that your running and writing or writing and running continue
0: thank you very much well i've really enjoyed talking to you good to see you yeah
1: take care
0: cheers again you okay bye